welcome to Music for Life, enhancing the Armstrong concert experience. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. In today's episode, we will introduce our listeners to the Oklahoma City Ballet by way of an interview with its artistic director, Robert Mills. The Oklahoma City Ballet will be kicking off Armstrong Auditorium's 2017-18 concert season with the beloved ballet by Igor Stravinsky, The Firebird. This rendition of The Firebird has been choreographed by Robert Mills himself, putting a unique and fresh touch on this classic work as we showcase it at Armstrong. We will also finish our discussion of Stravinsky's Firebird Ballet, both the exciting conclusion to this legendary story and the magnificent musical moments Stravinsky writes to depict this triumphant tale. So stick around for all this today on Music for Life. As our show's tagline states, we are helping enhance the Armstrong experience, the world-class performing arts series here at Armstrong Auditorium, a world-class venue in terms of the fine finishes, comfortable sight lines, and crisp acoustics. This season, we are exploring the music to be performed on the various concerts throughout the season, and our season opens Thursday, September 14th with the Oklahoma City Ballet. They will be performing Aaron Copland's cherished 25-minute-long ballet, Rodeo or Rodeo, which we discussed on an earlier episode. I'd encourage you to listen to episode 68, titled Ballet in Cowboy Boots, to learn more about that. Oklahoma City Ballet will be opening their program with the 45- to 50-minute-long ballet by Igor Stravinsky, The Firebird. We began discussing the plot and the significant musical moments of that work in our previous episode, which you can access at kpcg.fm or on SoundCloud or iTunes if you want to catch up to our discussion today. We will finish that discussion of the plot toward the end of the program. But first, let's get to our discussion with Robert Mills, who is entering his 10th season now as artistic director for Oklahoma City Ballet and the one who has re-choreographed the Stravinsky Ballet we are discussing. I was able to speak with him over the phone a couple weeks back. He talked about the company's upcoming performance at Armstrong and specifically what he has done with the Firebird choreography. He also described this prestigious arts organization based right here in central Oklahoma, some of its remarkable history and some of what he's done to bring the organization to a higher level. The company has origins all the way back into the early 1960s. Um, later in that decade and into the early uh, 1970s, it was uh, more formalized by uh, one of the famous five Native American ballerinas, Yvonne Choteau, and her husband, Miguel Tirikoff. They uh, founded what was the beginnings of Oklahoma City Ballet. Back then it was the Oklahoma City Civic Ballet, and uh, that organization uh, was the beginnings of, of what we are today. We've had many different, very high-profile artistic directors over the past. Edward Villela, uh, who is uh, considered one of the greatest male ballet dancers produced in the United States. He was a principal dancer for New York City Ballet. We've had Joy and Conrad Ludlow, 
Brian Pitts and Laura Flagg Pitts from New York City Ballet. So there have been many great artistic directors over our history. And what are some of the more spectacular honors or performances that OKC Ballet has done in its, what, four to five decade history? Well, there's been uh, numerous projects, I would say, and even in the early years where uh, Yvonne and Miguel were running the, the company, they would bring in uh, world-famous guest artists from uh, their uh, time in the Ballet Russe. Uh, mm. They met many uh, world-famous artists, and they would bring them here to perform lead roles in the Nutcracker. Maria Talchi, for instance, was one of those early performers in some of the ballets that Yvonne and Miguel produced. In fact, uh, Maria Talchief, uh, along with Yvonne Choteau, served as an adjudicator for the very first year that they auditioned dancers to be uh, members of the company the very first year. The company uh, has also served as a presenter, so we've brought other ballet companies here to perform, like Hubbard Street Dance from Chicago, San Francisco Ballet, uh, Oklahoma City Ballet in the past has brought uh, Mikhail Baryshnikov to come and perform. We've had uh, very uh, numerous performances since I've been director. We've had James Whiteside, who's a principal dancer from American Ballet Theater, Misa Kuranaga from a principal dancer with Boston Ballet. More recently, uh, Ziamora Riaz, who was a former dancer from, uh, principal dancer from American Ballet Theater, and Gonzalo Garcia from New York City Ballet. These dancers come to our company and they assimilate very well with our artists here that we have on contract. And so that really speaks to the level of artists that we have in our own company because they can dance alongside these artists quite well. So uh, there's been numerous performances that we've had over the past nine years with myself. We've had numerous firsts for our organization. We had our first staging of the full-length Swan Lake with orchestra. You would think that I inherited a company at that point that was about four decades in its existence, but it had never produced a full-length Swan Lake with orchestra. Hmm. So I'm, I'm happy to have brought that to Oklahoma City. We did our first uh, staging of Tchaikovsky's Sleeping Beauty with orchestra. This season that we're in right now, and in fact, uh, this year, 2017, our audiences will have seen Tchaikovsky's full-length Sleeping Beauty earlier this year. We're producing Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake this uh, coming October at the Civic Center. And then, of course, our Nutcracker will be in December at the Civic Center. So within one calendar year, we've produced the three major Tchaikovsky Mm -hmm. works, what I call the cornerstones of classical ballet that Tchaikovsky composed. And this company has never done that. This company has, well, they've never really had them in their repertoire, let alone perform them in one calendar year. So I think I'm really proud that uh, the company has evolved to uh, that point. Outside of that, we regularly bring in world-renowned choreographers, We've done works from Nacho Duato. This season, we're doing a work from Yuri Killian, who is arguably one of the world's most prolific living choreographers. We regularly do uh, world premiere works. We've brought in Helen Pickett, Nicola Fonte, Jessica Lang, Matthew Neenan, resident choreographer of Pennsylvania Ballet. 
So we're not only bringing the classics to our audiences, we're bringing uh, world premiere works. And I think that's important for our art form to not only uh, serve as a vehicle to bring uh, the classic works or, shall you say, the museum pieces, mm-hmm. but to also be pushing the art form forward into the future and creating works that are uh, identifiable and accessible to today's audiences. So, I mean, I think we are continuing the legacy of the company and year after year uh, bringing our audiences uh, that we've never done before. Right, and those are happening under your uh, leadership. Uh, What kind of expertise or niche do you bring to this company or have you brought in the last nine, ten years? What's your fingerprint, so to speak, on OKC Ballet uh, in addition to, say, the the full-length productions? I do a lot of my own choreography, and, you know, I, I consider myself... I think as many artists do, regardless of where they are in their life and in their process, I consider myself a developing uh, choreographer. I'm always learning. And I've choreographed numerous works over the past nine years, somewhere around 18 or 20 works in the past nine years. Hmm. And I was recently uh, invited to take part in the National Choreographers Initiative in Southern California. They choose four choreographers annually to take part in this process. So uh, I was lucky to go out there and have time with 16 professional dancers that they hire from numerous professional companies around the United States and and just develop work and develop choreography. So with myself, I would say you can definitely see uh, a uniqueness in our company because not only do I curate uh, our seasons, in other words, I, I plan and program what we're performing. I invite these choreographers to come from around the world. I'm hiring all of our dancers to take part in the company each season. But I myself am a choreographer, and so I think that makes us unique because I have my own choreographic voice. Right. Sometimes it is abstract. You know, I am an artist working in the 21st century, so oftentimes my work involves subtle comments about the world that we live in as humans. Sure. Well, and how many dancers are you working with? I mean, what's the composition of the company there? Our main company, what I call our main company, has ranks from principal dancer through apprentice. And that is 31 dancers. Then we have a studio company. Those are dancers that are invited to remain with us and train uh, with the professional company and supplement uh, some of our larger ballets. They're selected from our annual summer intensives that we have every summer. And then below the studio company is a group of trainees that are in our highest division in our school. They are also dancers that are selected from our summer intensives. And so all told, we have 81 uh, dancers that are, are working with us that we can select from to take part in our productions. Great. And you do about four main productions a year there at the Civic Center. Is that right? We do. Uh, we have uh, an, an October production. We have our annual production of the Nutcracker in December at the Civic Center, a February production, and then an April production. We do a lot of touring around surrounding states, and oftentimes we will program ourselves a fifth production at 
another local theater. For instance, Oklahoma City Community College has a beautiful new theater. We're mm-hmm. happy to have been, been invited uh, by Armstrong Auditorium to provide our dancers yet a fifth production in our 17-18 season this year. Yes. So, um, yeah, we, we try and seek out as many additional performances as we can. We, we annually go to Colorado Springs and perform with the Colorado Springs uh, Philharmonic and do the Nutcracker. Yeah, we, we try to get our dancers out there performing as much as we can. Great. And how do, the, how do rehearsals work with these, these companies, say, leading up to one of these four or five productions? What's the, what's the regimen? Typically, I liken the process uh, around a five- to six-week process. So typically, there's about three weeks of studio time, maybe a week in the theater. That would be the minimum mm-hmm. of four weeks. So the dancers uh, typically, uh, whether it's a four- or six-week process, um, they're coming in. They are working with myself or our ballet masters or any choreographers or stagers that are coming in from around the world to teach the steps. So they're working uh, with these artists to basically learn the steps first. And so that's always the first process is, um, unless it's a ballet that the dancers have performed before, and right. oftentimes, even if they have performed it before, it might have been years in advance. So mm-hmm. um, sometimes the, the the specifics and the steps don't get retained quite easily. So they're learning the steps, and then we're working after that once they have confidence in uh, just knowing the choreography. We go through a period of what I call coaching. And uh, so we are perfecting the steps. We're perfecting their technique. We're perfecting their performance quality, both of the ballets that we're bringing to Armstrong, for instance, are telling stories. So they're shorter works. They're not full length, but they're two short works, but each one tells a story. So along with coaching their technical aspects of their performance, when it tells a story, we uh, are working with them on their acting, working with them on how they interact with uh, the other characters within the story, making sure that they're fully understanding what their characters have to say what their characters do within the process of the story and how uh, their character completes, really, the telling of the story for the audience. After that process is over, we're generally going into the theater. And in the theater, it shifts immediately to uh, because you're in a different space. And so you want to bring the dancers into the space and you want to what we call do a spacing rehearsal right. because it is a different environment. We go through a process where they're taking the same steps, but understanding fully, for instance, what wings they're coming in and out of, where they're standing on the stage, where they're moving across the stage, because, again, it is a different environment. And then the next process will be a technical rehearsal. So we are then working with placing uh, lights and any other technical or special effects that will accompany the performance to enrich the audience's experience. So all of those things have to be rehearsed. That's often something that uh, audiences and dancers even don't really understand. (laughs) the, The crew that has to manipulate or, if you will, essentially make sure that these elements are happening, they need rehearsal as well. Oh, yeah. So uh, (laughs) those rehearsals are very, very important. Oftentimes we're lucky if we can have two days of rehearsals before we're opening 
or going into a dress rehearsal. But the last bit of that is the dress rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's important that the dancers do the work in costume on stage. Now, I always have them do one of their last rehearsals in the studios before we even move into the theater in costume. Mm. I think that's important to have an up-close look at the costumes with my costume director, getting, making sure that they are uh, prepared and hemmed and, and just looking right. The dancers need to know how to maneuver in those works, especially if it's partnering. But oftentimes when dancers are working one-on-one with another dancer in partnering, they'll have those costumes on. At least, like a female dancer, will have a tutu on, a practice tutu, very early on in the process. Right. So when you're in stage, that dress rehearsal is our last finishing touches on uh, the performance, both in the dancing, the technique, the acting, the lighting, the staging, and then we uh, open for performances. So it's really quite an involved process. I think many people don't understand really how involved it is for dance, I think for music, um, it definitely requires rehearsal, and musicians work very hard in their own time away from coming together as a unit Mm -hmm. to uh, perform live music. But the simple fact is, is that, you know, music is essentially mathematics. So once those artists, you know, come away from their own rehearsals individually and they come together as a unit, it takes not nearly as much rehearsal as a unit to perform the works on stage as it does in dance. Hmm. It's a very long process and it takes weeks. Fascinating. And you're, you mentioned the two productions you're bringing to Armstrong, uh, Stravinsky's Firebird, which you re-choreographed, and then Copeland's uh, Rodeo. And talk about what you've done here with Firebird, what you're bringing to it. I mean, it's a classic tale of, you know, the evil ogre turns people to stone and then the, the, the magical Firebird, you know, wins the day. But uh, what, uh, what are you bringing to this? Well, you know, what I have done since I took over uh, Oklahoma City Ballet, when, when I took it over, it, used, it was formerly called Ballet Oklahoma, I, I really made it a focus to bring our audiences, I would say, as true to the classic versions as I could. And the reason is, is as I said, I took over a company that was about 40 years in its existence, but it had never done a full-length Swan Lake. Mm-hmm. It had never done a full-length Sleeping Beauty with orchestra. It had never done you know, numerous things, uh, several works from George Balanchine that, that I brought uh, to our audiences. And so I, I really made it a, a point to not alter much from the original stagings in, in some of the classic works. Now, uh, The Firebird, I would say, is way more of a neoclassical work. So so you're talking about a 20th century piece of choreography as right. well to uh, Swan Lake, sure. Beauty, and Giselle. Um, but, but even then, I wanted to look at that original synopsis, do a little research on what some of those early stagings of the Fokine version of Firebird and basically just work with the dancers that we had. So for instance, in the Fokine version, there are 
an enormous amount of monsters that the sorcerer Kashi ha- is commanding around the stage. Well, you know, at the time when we choreographed it five years ago, when I choreographed it five years ago, I, I manipulated it to the dancers that we had available. Right. But I would say what I did was create a version that is my original choreography, but it is very much within the original idea and synopsis of the story. So, for instance, I don't take the Firebird and stage it in a futuristic <laughs> urban atmosphere. Right. You know, so it, I would say your, your audiences will enjoy uh, a version that is very much in line with the original intent of the ballet. Right. It's respectful to that, but yet it has something that, that fits your company specifically. The uniqueness in, in movement... Yes. Right. And then with the few minutes we have left here, Copeland's Rodeo, you know, legendary choreographer, her first great success, basic plot of cowgirl trying to win the head wrangler's attention. Why is this piece such a good fit for your company? Well, first of all, I, uh, it's Rodeo, and I wish I knew the answer to that. I, I really believe that when Copeland and uh, DeMille were, uh, the, number one, the music exists and already, and, I, and Agnes wanted to uh, create a ballet around it. And so the, the origins of the name of it, no one really knows why it's called Rodeo as opposed to Rodeo. I don't really know that. And actually, I've heard different, very opinionated viewpoints sure. <laughs> as to what it's called. But I think for us, I would say, let's face it, you know, I think our state is changing in Oklahoma. It's uh, becoming much more metropolitan, urban, cosmopolitan place. Oklahoma City over the past 15 years has changed dramatically. However, the heritage of the state and, uh, and the history of the state, from the land run through to the, the cattle drives and, and Oklahoma City, you know, is still trying to shake off that idea of being built as a cow town. <laughs> this is our history, and I, I feel like, you know, let's not turn our back on it. Let's embrace it. You know, within the ballet uh, rodeo, DeMille doesn't state exactly where it is. You know it's somewhere in the American West. But it's wonderful. It's wonderful music. It's, it's iconic movement. So what, uh, what DeMille does uh, brilliantly, near, almost geniusly, is tell the story through incredibly simplistic movement. The movement is almost as if it came before the music. Mm. And some of it does because it's riding horses. Right. It is roping, and you see those movements in mm. the choreography. And so the people are familiar with the music. People know the, the ballet. They know of it. And it tells such an endearing story of a young girl who's just trying to find her place within the world. She is a tomboy. She identifies more readily with hanging out with the men on the ranches, and she wants <laughs> to be a part of them. But, you know, in, in coming of age, sometimes, you know, uh, you figure things out a little differently, and you see her within the course of the ballet really figure out what her, what, uh, her future holds. And she thinks she uh, is enamored with one particular uh, rancher, the head wrangler. Right. When, in fact, uh, within the course of the ballet, she finds out that... Uh, 
she uh, is developing feelings for someone else. Right. So it's a really endearing story of a coming of age of this young woman, and I think many people, and, and male or female, can identify with that period of their lives. Well, this is great. Thanks, Robert, so much for your time. I know you need to get get going on on rehearsing and things. Uh, Really looking forward to having you at Armstrong as our opening concert of the season. Any final thoughts, uh, what you're looking forward to? We're just looking forward to coming up there and performing in such a beautiful theater, and we're very happy for the invitation, and we hope everyone comes out to enjoy these performances. You are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. In this episode, we are introducing our listeners to the Oklahoma City Ballet by way of that interview you just heard with its artistic director, Robert Mills. The Oklahoma City Ballet will be kicking off the Armstrong Auditorium 2017-18 concert season on Thursday, September 14th with the beloved ballet by Igor Stravinsky, The Firebird. This rendition of The Firebird has been choreographed by Robert Mills himself, putting a unique and fresh touch on this classic work as we showcase it at Armstrong. We are also using this episode to finish our discussion of The Firebird, both its plot conclusion and how Stravinsky masterfully depicts this with his compositional choices. And I hope, even if you can't make it to this Armstrong performance or any of our performances, that you will still enjoy our discussions of these great masterpieces being featured on our stage. Before we do that, let's review the plot and accompanying music that we covered last time, a previously on Music for Life, if you will. The story revolves around Prince Ivan, who is lost in a forest, Stravinsky creates the perfect atmosphere with his music to depict this mystical realm, that of the evil ogre King Kashi. While in the forest, Ivan sees a dazzling creature, a firebird, picking golden apples. The music for the firebird involves some very acrobatic playing from the woodwinds, particularly from a solo clarinet. Ivan chases and captures the bird, but it pleads to be released, for which Stravinsky writes appropriately plaintive music. Ivan releases the bird, and in gratitude, the firebird gives Ivan one of its feathers, an object that contains special powers to protect him as he goes through life. Next, Ivan sees the 13 princesses come out of the castle, those held captive by Kashi. They play a game with the apples, which we heard last time in a sprightly scherzo movement. Then we heard the luscious music Stravinsky wrote to depict the princesses dancing around dance. We left our story, in fact, when Prince Ivan watches the princesses perform this dance, and in so doing, he becomes enamored with one of them in particular. So the next day, Ivan goes to the castle to ask its evil king permission to marry this particular princess. We will hear this in a movement titled Daybreak. Right after that is the movement where we are introduced to Kashi's monsters who guard the castle. Eventually, Ivan is captured, but he can't be turned to stone like other intruders because of the firebird feather he holds. This movement leads right into another one called Arrival of Kashi. In this movement, he and Ivan discuss Ivan's desire for one of the princesses, but get into a quarrel. As that movement comes to a close, we will hear the return of this beautiful melodic idea. So let's listen to this sequence of movements from Igor Stravinsky's The Firebird. Again, we are hearing a recording of the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra under the baton of Simon Rattle.
We just heard three more movements, the part of the story where Prince Ivan goes to the evil King Kashi to discuss the release of a princess he wants to marry. In that section, we were introduced to the monsters who guard the ogre's castle. Ivan is captured but can't be turned to stone thanks to the firebird feather he holds. Next, as he and Kashi are in a quarrel, the firebird appears. Appearance of the Firebird is the title for the next movement. Here she returns to repay Ivan for the freedom he gave to her, and she helps Ivan by showing him how to defeat Kashi. I'll start the music just before the appearance of the Firebird, and I think it will be obvious where she enters, as the woodwinds have always been featured prominently during her appearances. This short movement leads into Dance of Kashi's Retinue, Enchanted by the Firebird, which has some fun xylophone playing that you'll hear. And then that leads into the declamatory and famous movement Infernal Dance of All Kashi's Subjects. This is the part of the story where the Firebird gets control of the monsters and causes them to do a dance, dancing themselves into exhaustion and eventually a deep sleep. Now, I want to alert you to a great compositional device Stravinsky uses to make this section of his music so compelling, this section called the Infernal Dance. He uses a rhythmic device known as syncopation, where powerful moments are put on usually unstressed parts of the beat, or as we might say in English, putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Let's say when you have three beats per bar, the recurring stress pattern of the pulse goes like this. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. But Stravinsky puts most of the notes of the main melody between these beats until the end of the phrase, like this. So let's hear this section, the appearance of the firebird, the dance of Kashi's retinue enchanted by the firebird, and the famous infernal dance of all Kashi's subjects. Thank you. 
That was a section of The Firebird, the beloved ballet by Igor Stravinsky. We just heard three contiguous movements where the Firebird appears to aid Prince Ivan against Kashi and his monsters. And then the Firebird gains control of the evil characters, whipping them into an exhausting dance. We heard Stravinsky's skillful use of syncopation, a rhythmic device, which helps depict this scene in such a perfect way. We faded out the track right as that dance ends and the music starts to get quieter. See, what's happening is the monsters and Kashi fall asleep out of exhaustion. And to represent that, Stravinsky writes the next movement to be a lullaby movement. It's a lovely movement. It starts with this melody played by the bassoon, which is one of the most famous bassoon solos in the instrument's repertoire. So that's the main theme for the lullaby movement played by the bassoon. While these evil creatures are asleep, the firebird instructs Prince Ivan to destroy a giant egg in which dwells Kashi's soul. 
This movement leads right into a short movement called Kashi's Awakening, which you'll be able to note by some really loud brass fanfare. In this movement, Kashi is destroyed, leading to profound darkness, as the score indicates, and I'll fade it out right about there as that movement comes to a close.
You are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. In this episode, we have introduced our listeners to the Oklahoma City Ballet by way of an interview with the company's artistic director, Robert Mills. The Oklahoma City Ballet will be kicking off Armstrong Auditorium's 2017-18 concert season on Thursday, September 14th with the beloved ballet by Igor Stravinsky, The Firebird. This rendition of The Firebird has been choreographed by Robert Mills himself, putting a unique and fresh touch on this classic work as we showcase it at Armstrong. Also in this episode, we are finishing our discussion of the Firebird Ballet itself. More information about this opening event at Armstrong can be found at armstrongauditorium.org. You can like Armstrong Auditorium on Facebook, or you can follow it on Twitter at armstrongaud. You can also like us, Music for Life, on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter at musicforlifepcg. We will also include information about these upcoming concerts in our show notes, which you can find at kpcg.fm, on iTunes, and on SoundCloud. We just heard the well-known lullaby movement and Kashi's Awakening, where at first Kashi and his monsters have fallen asleep thanks to the exhausting dance the Firebird caused them to do. But then Kashi wakes up, Ivan smashes the egg that contains Kashi's soul, and that leads to a section marked in the score, Profound Darkness. That is where we just faded it out. This darkness is depicted by very quiet string playing. The strings are performing a technique called tremolo, where the bow goes back and forth very quickly over a string to create that trembly effect. But these tremolos lead us right into the next movement called Disappearance of Kashi's Palace, Return to Life of the Petrified Knights, and General Rejoicing. The beginning of this movement is marked by the ballet's most famous folk theme that Stravinsky utilizes, played by a solo French horn, and it's definitely one of the most famous horn solos in the orchestral repertoire. This folk theme is employed by Stravinsky to depict the removal of Kashi's evil influence, the knights which had been turned to stone, come back to life, and of course, Ivan marries the princess. We have been listening to a recording of Simon Rattle conducting the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra. We will now hear this triumphant finale from that recording to close our program, and I hope to see you soon at Armstrong.
You have been listening to Music for Life, a production of KPCG 101.3 on the FM dial in Edmond, Oklahoma. From the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus, I'm Ryan Malone. Thanks for joining me.